Our topic is spiritual leadership. And specifically, we're going to look at some lessons from the life of Jesus. Now, spiritual leadership is a very broad topic. I saw a book out on the counter there that someone had brought in on spiritual leadership by a guy named Blackaby. Many books have been written on it. There's a lot of different directions we could take from the Bible itself to examine the subject of spiritual leadership. There are some great spiritual leaders in the Bible. Moses, David, Paul come to mind uh, right off the bat. And we could look at each one of their lives and we could extract principles on spiritual leadership. Or we could go to the scriptures and we could just examine what does it teach about being a spiritual leader. And there are many passages that actually give instruction on the qualifications of spiritual leaders, uh, the role that they play in the work of God. But this morning, we're specifically going to look at some lessons from the life of Jesus. Jesus himself has several passages where he teaches on spiritual leadership, or what spiritual leaders look like. But this morning, we're going to look out of Matthew 9 and 10. We're going to spend a lot of our time in the end of Matthew 9, the beginning of Matthew 10. And what we're really trying to do is extract some principles from Jesus in action. So Jesus is a spiritual leader. We want to study him this morning for a couple of reasons. Number one, Jesus is the only flawless model we have of spiritual leadership. Moses, David, Paul, they were all great men of God. There's lots of principles that we can take from their lives, but when we examine the life of Christ, Christ is the perfect spiritual leader. He functioned flawlessly as a leader in God's work. Secondly, the second reason I'd like us to look at Jesus is because as we grow in spiritual maturity, as, as we grow in spiritual leadership, that's part of the process of becoming more like Christ. Uh, so, if I focus on becoming more like Christ, spiritual leadership is going to flow out of that. So, focusing on becoming like Christ is going to help me become a better spiritual leader. So, we're just going to look at one passage out of Matthew 9. And from that, we're going to extract six principles of spiritual leadership and one prerequisite. So, that's where we're going this morning. It's six principles of spiritual leadership and one foundational prerequisite that is required of us as spiritual leaders. I was at a conference last fall, Labor Day, and I was in a small workshop that was examining the life of Christ. And it was, it was rapid fire. They basically broke us into small groups, and they gave us questions, and then we had four groups, And each group was made up of four or five people. And they would ask us a question about the life of Jesus. And each group was assigned a gospel. I think we had the gospel of Mark. And then we would have to go through the gospel of Mark. We had five minutes to try to answer this question from the gospel of Mark. Looking through the whole gospel. So it was kind of a fun exercise. uh, Because it really forced you to kind of come up with what's what's the thing that is on the surface, what pops into your head as you look at the life of Christ. But this is one question that really jumped out at me. And I want to ask it to you guys this morning. When you think about the life of Christ, what is the number one thing that Jesus modeled to his disciples? The thing that jumped out to me 
was availability. I think the number one thing that Jesus modeled to his disciples was availability to the will of the Father. And I think that that is the prerequisite of spiritual leadership. If I want to grow as a spiritual leader, then I need to be available to God and to his purposes for my life. This is foundational. Now Webster's defines available as present or ready for immediate use, which I think is pretty powerful and definitely describes the life of Jesus as we read it in the Gospels. But let's just take a look at some passages. First out of Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8. It says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And I think Paul here, as he's writing to the Philippians, he really captures some key components to this idea of availability and how Jesus modeled it. He emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant and he humbled himself and became obedient. All of those are aspects of making yourself available to God. Making yourself nothing. Taking on the nature of a servant. Humbling yourself and becoming obedient even unto death. So here, Paul really describes this as one of the key characteristics of Jesus. And he also says that it's something that we should be seeking to imitate in him. But let's look at Jesus' own words. Most of these are going to be from the Gospel of John. As he described his availability to the Father. So just read through these with me. I think it's pretty overwhelming. And again, be thinking about, what does this say about Jesus' availability to the Father him being present and ready for immediate use. In John 4.34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In John 5.19, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. This is Jesus describing himself. And just think about your own life and how well these verses characterize uh, your life. How could you, could you say these things about yourself? A little later in John 5, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In John 6.38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then in John 7, Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true. And there is no unrighteousness in him. 
John 8. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Therefore Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. Then in John 10, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Very interesting verse. You know, Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. He chose to lay down his life. Later in John 10, verses 37 and 38, If I do not do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. And here we see Jesus describing the way he was doing the work of the Father as the basis for belief in him. It wasn't what he said about himself in this passage, but the works that others could see him doing in the name of the Father that he appealed to as the basis of belief in him. John 12, 27 and 28. He's uh, approaching Jerusalem at this time. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So Jesus is knowingly going to the cross in this passage. He's about a week out from dying on the cross. And his soul, has troubled, his soul is troubled because he knows what's coming. And he asks this question outwardly. Should I pray that the Father would save me from this hour? Because I know what I'm, I'm walking into. I can't say that prayer. At least he didn't at this time. I can't say that prayer because for this purpose I came to this hour. So his prayer was, Father, glorify your name. Accomplish your purposes through me. John 12, 49 and 50, I did not speak on my own initiative. But the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. For this reason, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. And then in John 14, as they're leaving to go to the garden, he says, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then, of course, the famous passage from the garden itself as Jesus is praying, right at the critical moment of his life, his last chance to escape, if you will, Then he said to the disciples, My soul is deeply grieved, even to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. So to hear from Jesus' own mouth his commitment to be available to the Father's plan for him I think is pretty stirring. It's pretty overwhelming. Jesus was completely yielded and completely available 
to what the Father wanted to do through his life. Not acting on his own initiative, but seeking out the Father's purposes and making himself completely present and ready for immediate use. And so those are some questions for us this morning. How available are you to the Father? As you think about your goals in life, your weekly schedule, the things that you're trying to accomplish, where does God fit into that? God's plan for you. Another question might be, what are the things that you are waiting on before you can fully serve God? What are those things that you're waiting to see happen before you can fully serve God? Or another way we might be able to say that is, where are you making God a second priority in life? What are your top priorities and is being available to God and His purposes at the top of that list? No amount of giftedness, talent, knowledge, or experience can overcome a lack of availability when it comes to spiritual leadership. It doesn't matter how good looking you are, how gifted you are, how much you know, how experienced you are. None of that can overcome a lack of availability to God. On the other hand, God can overcome any and all of your limitations if you're available to Him, to be used by Him. So that's the prerequisite of spiritual leadership, is to make ourselves available to God and to ask Him to live His life through us. So now let's look at these six principles from the life of Jesus out of Matthew chapter 9. Six principles on spiritual leadership. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn. We're going to start with Matthew 9, verse 35. It says, Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and downcast, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And having summoned his twelve disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them. So let's just walk through this passage and I'd like to, to draw our attention to six principles that I see in the life of Christ that describe him as a spiritual leader. And the first is intentionality. Jesus was going about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus knew his mission. In Luke chapter 4, verses 42 and 43, it says that when it was day, Jesus departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and they would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And so Jesus, he knew his mission, and he was actively engaging in it. Here we see that Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages. He was not waiting for opportunities to knock on his door, but he knew that going about teaching, healing the people was part of the mission that God had for him, and he was engaging in it. He was intentionally taking action and moving forward. So that's 
the first principle that I see in the life of Christ. Principle number two from the same verse, Matthew 9.35. He was going about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so the second principle of spiritual leadership that we see Jesus practicing in this passage is speaking the word of God. Jesus knew the power of the message that he had been entrusted with. Keep your finger there in Matthew 9 and flip over to Mark chapter 6 because there's a, there's a similar passage from Mark 9, sorry, from Matthew 9.35, Mark 6.34. They are almost identical verses. They start out exactly the same but end a little different. In Mark 6.34 it says that when Jesus went ashore he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So here we see Jesus responding to a different scenario but the same need. The people were like sheep without a shepherd. In Mark 6 he begins to teach them many things. In Matthew 9, he had been going about all the cities and villages teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Throughout the scriptures, the word of God and those speaking it are important aspects of being a spiritual leader. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, someone, someone's got that memorized and can quote it for us nice and loud. Hebrews 13, 7. says, remember your leaders. Right. Remember your leaders, and then it's almost like parentheses. Who are your leaders? In that verse. Those who spoke the word of God to you. So when we think about being spiritual leaders or practicing spiritual leadership, knowing the word of God and speaking it, are important aspects of spiritual leadership. And we see Jesus practicing. He's engaged in this part of spiritual leadership. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. A familiar verse for probably many of you in this room. It says, do not let this book of the law depart from where? From your mouth. It probably took me ten years before that popped into my head. Uh, every time I would review that verse, I would just think, I'm meditating on the word of God in my heart. But God is telling Joshua, don't let the word of God depart from your mouth. Yes, meditate on it day and night. But part of, part of what helps us meditate on the word of God is to speak it, to try to share it. I see this with my children. I've got four kids, like I mentioned. And this two months ago, we finished reading the Bible together. We were going through the year Bible, and it took us about a year and a half. But it was great. One thing I learned just as I was reading the scriptures to my kids, is that I got a, a whole different set of things out of the Bible because I was mindful of what my kids were hearing as I was reading these passages. And there were some pretty awkward moments. There were some pretty awkward questions. So for instance, when your eight-year-old asks you, what is circumcision? You're reading it, you're sharing it, you're, 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 you're reading this passage, and then your eight-year-old, how are you going to answer that question? Well, how many of you in the room don't know what circumcision is? You don't have to raise your hand. We all know what it is. Now, how do you describe it to an eight-year-old? So, I muddled through it. I, I think I pretty much communicated what it was. And then, of course, there was the follow-on question. 
answer a look of bewilderment because we were reading about how God said this has to happen. You know, if you're going to be one of my people, you have to be circumcised. So the second question was, why? You know, why would God want to do that? And uh, that was a good question. <laughs> hmm, let me think about that. So there's something about trying to speak the word of God to others that really forces us to wrestle with what does it mean? What is God trying to communicate? And so it's a very, it's a very healthy thing to be engaged in speaking the word of God to others. I've been reading the book of Acts in my quiet times, and several of you know this, but some probably don't. Two of the key figures in the book of Acts are this guy Paul and Barnabas. They were partners in ministry. They seem to have been close friends. And Paul, of course, was also called Saul. And he had uh, quite a, a colored past before he came into the kingdom. In fact, he was violently opposed to the followers of Christ early in the book of Acts, tried to seek them, seek them out, hunt them down, arrest them, do everything in his power to oppose and to snuff out the uh, advancement of God's, of, of Christ's message in the book of Acts. Then he comes to faith. God, in a very dramatic way, knocks him off of his horse as he's traveling, blinds him, Jesus appears to him, reveals himself, and Paul becomes a new man. He becomes a follower of Jesus. But no one trusts him for obvious reasons because of his history. But Barnabas actually goes and he, he seeks Paul out and Barnabas basically stands for him with the church. He introduces him to the church and he helps Paul get started. Later in the Gospel, or in the book of Acts, Barnabas is up in Antioch, which was one of the Christian communities that had sprung up in the early days of the faith. He's in Antioch and he realizes that God is doing some significant things and he wants some help. And he goes and he finds this guy, Paul, and he asks him to come with him to Antioch and to partner together in ministry. And Paul does. He responds. He goes with Barnabas. And together they're leading in the church in Antioch. Then in chapter 13, the Holy Spirit says, I want Barnabas and Paul to be set aside for a special work that I've called them to. And that work became what we now call the first missionary journey of Paul. Interestingly, we don't call it the first missionary journey of Barnabas. But initially, when God made this call, he said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And, and order is important in the scriptures. The order of names is important. And in the early years of their relationship, Barnabas was the established leader. He was the recognized leader in that dynamic duo. But in chapter 13, it switches, and it never goes back. Instead of being Barnabas and Paul, it becomes Paul and Barnabas. And so, if you look at it in chapter 13, the occasion for this switch is they have traveled, it's, it's early in their journey, they've left Antioch, and they've gone, they've gone to the island of Cyprus. And they've traveled all across the island of Cyprus from east to west, they get to the western, the western side of the island and the governor has caught wind of these two guys walking around teaching and he wants to hear them. And so he invites them to come and uh, to share with him the word of God. But he has an advisor, a guy by the name of Elymas in verse 8. And it says that uh, this guy Elymas opposed them and began to seek to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And so there's this, there's this crisis moment 
in Acts chapter 13, where Paul and Barnabas have been given this great opportunity to talk to the governor of this, of this province, Cyprus, the island. And as they're sharing the word with the governor, this other guy pops up and begins to counterpoint what they're saying to the governor. And at this moment, someone speaks up. And it's not Barnabas. It's Paul. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is on you, and you will be blind and and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul, the governor, believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And verse 13 says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga. And I think it was in that moment that Paul's spiritual leadership stepped out front and he began to lead the team. I don't think it was a power struggle. Uh, I don't think Paul was usurping the chain of command. It was just that God was doing a work in and through Paul and he became the natural leader of that team because he was willing to speak in this moment of crisis. You see the same thing happening just a few verses later in verses 15 and 16. They're in the synagogue and they're invited to share a word of encouragement and Paul is the one who gets up and begins to speak the Word of God. The Navigators have invited me to lead our Navy ministries. They've asked me to lead our Navy ministries. And so I've been doing some work with our our Navy missionaries over the past few months. And one of the things we've been doing is these conference calls because we're scattered all over the U.S. So we call in and we're getting ready to discuss um, how we're trusting God to move the kingdom forward in the Navy. And we realize that we've got an extra person on the line. There's a voice that we don't recognize. <laughs> and this guy's like, uh, hey, what's going on here? Where am I? <laughs> like, uh, well, well, who are you? And he said, well, my name is Travis. Well, well hey, Travis, uh, I'm not sure how you got stuck on this particular phone call because you've got to have a special code and everything to, to get in, and it's kind of a closed line, but Travis had joined us. <laughs> and it was... Uh, Several of us, but one of the guys who was on the call with me was a guy named Bob Ream. And some of you know Bob. The two things that you'll get from Bob Ream if you spend two hours with him is going to be the importance of scripture memory and purity. And uh, overcoming sexual temptation. Whether that's pornography, whether that's promiscuity, whether that's masturbation. All of that, that's a big part of what God has used Bob to help people find Victory in, the area of purity. So Bob is on this call, and Travis is sa- says, well, I'm on the wrong call. Because we told him, well, this is, this is a navigator call, maybe. Well, I'm on the wrong call. He says, uh, he says I- I'm looking for some phone sex. And uh, so, uh, and it was pretty graphic. I won't get into all the, the things that he said. But uh, he was eager and hoping that he could, we could get him directed to the right place. You know, there's this moment of, okay... God, we had our plan here to, to discuss a certain agenda, but now we've got this guy, Travis, who's clearly in need of some direction, and he's in need of Jesus. What are we going to say to this guy? Well, who do you think spoke up? There were five of us on the call, 
And when Travis started describing how he was wanting phone sex, uh, who spoke up? Bob spoke up, man. I mean, right in there. Immediately. And, and the reason is because in that area, you know, Bob is a spiritual leader. And so it's impossible for him not to speak into the life of someone who is struggling in that area. So speaking the Word of God, being willing to put ourselves out there, is one of the principles of spiritual leadership, and Jesus was practicing it in Matthew chapter 9. A third principle we see Jesus practicing is serving people. And in Matthew 9.35 specifically, it says that he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. So Jesus served people. That's another way of describing what he was doing here. As he traveled around teaching, there were several people who had some real needs. And Jesus was meeting those needs in this case and in this passage by healing them. Now this is sometimes a stumbling block for us because we see Jesus doing these extraordinary things to heal people, to cast out demons, to multiply loaves and fishes. We see Jesus doing these, these miracles and we think to ourselves, well, I could not imitate Jesus. I could not heal this person. If you're like me, that's kind of the thought process that goes through your head. But the fact that Jesus served in extraordinary ways should not keep us from imitating him in the basic concept. So just because Jesus was serving in an extraordinary way, it doesn't change the fact that he was serving people. And I can serve people. Now the way I think about this is that if Nate came to me and said, hey, my transmission just broke, can you help me fix my transmission? I would say no. I can't serve you, brother. I, I don't know how to fix a transmission. But I know how to change oil. So if, if I'm willing to serve in the ways that I can help people, that's what we're talking about here. Jesus was in a place where God had empowered him to be able to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And so Jesus was acting on that ability. He had the ability to serve people in that way. Uh, you and I have different capacities. We've got different areas of expertise. But the one thing all of us can do is we can serve people. And we do that by meeting real needs. And that's what we see Jesus doing here in Matthew chapter 9. Not only was he serving people, but he was doing it by meeting real needs. Said another way, when Jesus was faced with the paralyzed man on the pallet, he did not offer to give him sight. That was not the need that was going to be served. When Jesus was faced with 5,000 hungry people, he didn't offer to give them the ability to walk. He fed them. So when you think about the needs of those around you, whether it's your co-workers, whether it's your, your family members, or whether it's your, your pad mates, you know, all these opportunities that God has given us to serve, what are the needs and how can you serve those needs? We had a couple who once offered to serve us, Cindy and I. He said, you know, we really want to serve you guys. We really want to support you in any way that we can. We're here, we see what you're doing, and we want to be a blessing to you. If there's anything that you need help with, just let me know. The only thing is, we don't do any babysitting, so if you wanted us to uh, watch your kids, that's something that we definitely don't do. But anything else, we, we would really like to serve you. Well, guess what our one need was? That was like the big need is like, can we get a date? When we think about serving people, it's not based on what we want to do. 
but it's what the need is and are we willing to meet that need. You know, a servant is not concerned with serving in the activities that he enjoys doing, but meeting the needs of those that he's serving. So, leaders serve. And you can always spot a leader in any group by looking for that quality. So what are the practical needs that you can meet for those that you're around? Okay, fourth principle we see in Jesus here. Genuine concern for others. That's a quality of spiritual leadership. Seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Now I did a study on this verse a couple of years ago. And as I was studying, I was trying to look up what does felt compassion mean? What does that really describe what's happening with Jesus when he saw these people who were like sheep without a shepherd? And I was a little surprised because the literal translation would be that his, his bowels were moved when he saw the multitudes. And so that's why there's not a literal translation, I guess, of Matthew 9.36. Because it doesn't really capture what was happening in Jesus. But it's actually a very graphic, it's a very graphic phrase that's being used to describe Jesus' reaction when he saw these people who were like sheep without a shepherd. In fact, the same Greek word is found in Acts chapter 1 verse 18 to describe what happened to Judas when he hung himself. It says that he threw himself headlong out of a tree and when he got to the end of the rope, it caught. It says that he split open in the middle and his, his bowels gushed forth is uh, the way it describes it in the English. But it's the same word. that it, it was a physical sensation that Jesus was experiencing when he saw this need that the people had, that they were like sheep without a shepherd. It was like a punch in the stomach. It was something he literally felt physically. That's what the text is trying to capture here when it says that he felt compassion. His stomach was twisted in knots when he saw this need. Also, whenever you see this word used of Jesus, it was a compassion that led him to take action. Whether it was Mark 6.34, the passage we read just a few moments ago, or Matthew 9.36, when he feels compassion for the crowd, he then does something. So in Mark 6 he says, he began to teach them many things. And we're going to come back to that on the next point. But here in Matthew 9, of course, he turns to his disciples and he begins to give them instruction. So it was a physical reaction that led him to take action. And one of the ways that we can think about this is that leaders see the need clearer than those around them and they care more about it than anyone else. That's, that's one of the things that makes you a leader is that you see the need around you more clearly than others and you care about it more than they do. And we need to trust God for both of those. The ability to see the need, the needs that are all around us, but also to care about those needs. And so that's a suggested application out of this principle of leadership is to pray and to ask God to give you eyes to see the spiritual realities all around you and to care about it, the capacity to care about it. When Jesus saw these hordes of people, he didn't just see a big crowd but he saw sheep without a shepherd. And it, it affected him. Which leads us to this fifth principle that we see Jesus practicing here, and that is that he focused on a few. Then he
Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now up until this point, the, the disciples have been in the background. But now they come to the fore. Jesus has been going around the towns. He's been teaching. He's been healing. Now he sees this great crowd of people coming toward him in response to his teaching and his healing. And his response is to turn to the disciples who are with him and to begin to help them see the need that he himself was seeing. So not only did he see the need, but he was helping, he was focusing on a few who he was helping see the need and do something about it. In Mark chapter 6, verse 34, the passage we read just a few moments ago, it says that when Jesus saw the crowds like sheep without a shepherd, his response was to teach them many things. Here, his response is to focus his attention to the disciples. And I think it's because he was thinking one level out in Matthew 9. So in in Mark 6, you kind of have the tactical response of Jesus to this need. Sheep without a shepherd. Jesus himself immediately steps forward and begins to teach them many things. He he ends up feeding the 5,000 in that passage in Mark 6. But here he's thinking one level out. And so he sees the need, and rather than addressing it directly in this passage, he turns to the 12, and he begins to work in their lives to help them address it. Jesus was focusing on those who had a heart to help. Jesus had a heart for for the crowds. He felt compassion for them. But he also had 12 young guys who he knew had the capacity to be part of the solution. To be shepherds for these sheep. And Jesus was focusing his attention on them here in Matthew chapter 9. So he was focusing on those who had a heart to help. So a question for us is, who are you bringing along to join you in the mission? Both responses are great. Mark 6 is great. Hopefully all of us are seeing the needs of those around us and we're immediately moving forward to meet those needs. But what is your strategic response? Are you focusing on a few who have a heart to help? That's the fifth principle of leadership we see here. Jesus practicing is focusing on the few. And the sixth principle we're going to look at this morning, we're going to close with, is that spiritual leaders leave awake. Having summoned his twelve disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. These twelve, Jesus sent out after instructing them. If we were to read on to Matthew chapter 11, we find that Jesus himself took off and went into some other cities. And he himself continued to do ministry even while the twelve were out teaching and healing others. But Jesus did not have to be physically present with those twelve disciples because he had spent time investing in them and he had sent them out to do the work. And so Jesus replaced and multiplied himself. Not only did he have guys who were doing the same work that he was doing, but there were more of them. And so a question for us is, if you weren't at your current location, what would be different? What would the hole be that was left if you were not at Fort Bragg, or at Seymour Johnson, or at Camp Lejeune, or Fort Lewis? And then secondly, what will be different when you leave? When the army sends you to your next duty station, what will you leave behind? And one of the ways that we could say this is that spiritual leadership is not a question of how many things that you can accomplish when you're present, but the people you've impacted and leave behind once you're gone. We're talking about leaving awake. 
Spiritual leadership is not just a question of how many things you can accomplish while you're here. But it's the people that you've impacted and, and that you leave behind once you're no longer here. So who are those folks who have been affected by our life towards the kingdom? In Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verses 1 and 2, it says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, because this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. It sounds counterintuitive to us that it would be better to go to a memorial service than to go to a cookout. But that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. And the reason he gives is because all of us are going to end up at the memorial service, where others are there for our memorial service. And he says, when you go to someone else's memorial service, while you're still alive, you lay it to heart. You begin to think about, what am I going to leave behind? And it really puts life into perspective. As someone who is still living, I can lay that to heart. I can begin to think about, you know, what is really important in my life? And what is the legacy that I want to leave? 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 18. One of King David's sons a man by the name of Absalom is described here. It says, Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself a pillar which is in the king's valley because, he said, I have no son to preserve my name. So he named the pillar after his own name and it is called Absalom's monument to this day. And the question I have for us as we close this morning is, what are you leaving behind? Monuments to yourself or people who share your values and bear the image of Christ. What is it that you're going to leave behind when you PCS from your current duty station? Will it be monuments, your own achievements, or will it be people who share your values and bear the image of Christ? And we're going to talk some more about that this afternoon when we, when we get into spiritual generations. But when we think about leaving awake as that sixth principle, it has to do with the people we leave behind, not just the things that we accomplish. So six principles from the life of Jesus and one foundational issue that we have to resolve. The foundation is, am I available to God? How available am I? Am I fully available? Partially available? How can I make myself more available to Him? And then... The six principles of leadership from Matthew chapter 9.